You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 140 of the MXU podcast. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, your host. And today we're starting out with uh, a member of our team, Mike Johns, who is our basically VP of product. So he leads the product team. And so if you're interacting with the MXU platform at all, you have Mike and his team to thank for how it looks, how it operates, just how the experience feels. And we have been working on, actually Mike and his team have been working on some brand new features lately that I'm so excited about that we needed a dedicated segment just to talk to Mike because we are so proud of what's just been developing over the last really couple of years, but for sure over the last several months. So Mike, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks. Yeah. I've I've really been looking forward to this. Yeah. So um, why don't you tell everybody just a little bit about your background to start? Because, um, you know, you have a, an extensive church background in addition to your technology background. So just give everybody kind of the 20,000 foot view of Mike Johns. Totally. Um, so yeah, like a lot of people in our community, um, started volunteering in junior high, right? Maybe earlier. Um, and, but actually it was, uh, kind of entirely on the worship side, uh, as a musician. Um, it wasn't until a few years into kind of church world that I realized that like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm a production guy at heart. Um, but, uh, got, you know, started playing drums and high school services. And then like, you know, I, I remember, uh, you know, dreaming about like, oh my gosh, playing the adult services, like one day, what would that even be like? And eventually got to start doing that. And uh, the church I came from um, was a little unique in that, uh, you know, worship leader is a recording artist. um, uh, And I ended up actually kind of transitioning to part of his touring band, played drums with Lincoln Brewster for 10 years, did some of the music direction side. um, And during that whole time, I was kind of on staff at at this church as well um, at Bayside. And uh, it was right in the middle of kind of the worship and production kind of teams. And I don't know, either of those, like you, you don't accomplish a whole lot with the other. So being in the middle of it always kind of made more sense to me, I guess. But one of my main responsibilities was taking care of all of our kind of tracks rigs, our Ableton rigs, doing all that programming, lots of studio work on that side. So that would always kind of drag me into the production call time and not the band call time. So a lot yeah. of those kind of relationships got formed there. And I realized like, oh, these are these are actually my, uh, my people, right? <laughs> That's funny. That's good. Well, understanding both sides of the, of the equation, though, both sides of the stage, the booth, whatever, is so vital. You know, we talk about it all the time around here of how you know, production people need to understand the vision and the approach and the desired outcome of the worship team and vice versa. And because honestly, we advocate for both of those teams to operate as one team and to not Mm -hmm. have silos, Mm -hmm. to not have division, because sometimes, especially in, you know, churches that are transitioning into a more modern approach or churches who've struggled with this, you know, a lot of times there's a gap, a gulf between Mm -hmm. the booth and the stage that needs to be bridged. And so being someone who understands both sides from your perspective has really informed kind of you and your team's approach to kind of what MXU has to offer in terms of just resources for the production side, because, you know, we talk a lot about communication and understanding the band and understanding the source Mm -hmm. and all of those kind of things. So um, it's just great that you're able to 
speak to that from such lived experience? I, uh, I always like take such pride in like, you know, I spent a lot of time looking at all of our kind of usage stats and watch stats and all that kind of thing. Consistently one of the most popular videos, if not the most popular videos, know your band, right? So that yeah. kind of pulling those teams together has been one of the, some of the earliest content MXU ever did. Um, and also remains some of the uh, content that resonates kind of the, the most, um, with, with users today and people brand new to the platform. Um, so that's that, really, you know, cool. that's kind of the, the church side, right. In my experience and somewhere in there was dropping out of college three separate times, you know, as most, you know, <laughs> software industry people do, I guess. Right. Um, uh, so after kind of my time at church, I worked, um, uh, worked at a financial technology fintech startup, same kind of location, Northern California. Um, and that's really where I kind of fell in love with like that, that kind of next stream, the industry kind of felt the call and interest to like, all right, like the production nerds are great. How can I take this to the next level of nerds to work with <laughs> that ended up being, uh, being software. And then, um, I actually started working for, uh, <laughs> worked with Spencer, our CEO, uh, that, uh, at that company, um, and, started working for MXU as a contractor, uh, contract developer, um, just like freelancer for a while. And then, uh, you know, it all kind of worked out to, uh, to come on more full time. And that has just been, um, an absolute blast to, to continue to get to kind of serve so many teams in the middle of that Venn diagram of this worship production, this church, this high impact experience, and just the technological kind of SaaS software as a service, like foundation, like business model that, that I've, I've loved. So getting to apply that all for a community that I've felt so connected to for 20 years, if I can say that, like it has been pretty, pretty phenomenal. So we were super excited to launch custom content in January. We'd been working on it for a long time. We had some beta testers who were kind of involved in the process, but we basically starting in January have allowed teams to upload their own content, whether that be a welcome message to a new volunteer or some training around a specific process that's unique to their workflow, or maybe even training around a piece of gear that we don't have in our library currently. So teams have really taken advantage of this and sunk their teeth into how can I um, resource my team with content that is kind of beyond where MXU's content library is right now. And that's been great. So that's only four months old, and yet you guys have been working feverishly to add more features to that sort of the core content plus other things. So, I mean, it, it's hard to believe it's only been four months, but talk about the process from January till now and what has been added, and especially this week, what we're so excited about. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the uh, kind of three-phase like uh, worship production technology. That brings my mind to the three big words you're going to see if you go to getmxu.com, recruit, train, retain, those yeah. being the three pillars of kind of that capability that we're trying to deliver to church teams everywhere, right? And that is what leads to becoming a healthy and, and effective, you know, at, at what you're actually trying to do, which is put on that service and, and um, have that impact. Um, the recruit pillar is the exciting kind of new feature called onboarding. I'll get into in in just a second. Um, you gave such a great description of custom content. Uh, I wanted to highlight uh, the other parts of kind of that train pillar, right? So that's yeah. far beyond just the, I mean, huge 600 now and growing. I was looking at some of the shoots on the calendar, like some of the most exciting stuff I think we've ever put together. We're filming this summer, right? Um, but this huge library of content and all of the features that kind of surround it 
whether it's assignments, it's custom content like you went into, it's MXU courses, building your own courses and adding rich notes and file uploads kind of alongside those images. Um, it's that kind of constellation of features around this awesome kind of training core that enable you to actually put it to work for your team. You know, it's one thing to have this whole grid of videos you can watch. It's another to be able to dig in and say, it's important in my context, with my gear, with my team, that the first thing someone learns is X, Y, and Z. And I can put a course together. I can film a quick video myself as the intro to that. I can combine MXU content with my own content. And uh, it's incredibly powerful what we're seeing teams do with this. And, you know, said earlier, like I'm kind of the stats nerd. I spent a lot of time in the database I'd, watching how some of this usage happens. It's inspiring to see how specific and how custom uh, of a solution this ends up being for for so many teams, big teams, smaller teams, growing teams. Like you said, in the middle of that transition between styles, all of it, they can really put it to work for their particular context. Yeah, it really is. And I, I think, you know, just the ability to add assignments and be able to track those assignments and people's progress through the the video consumption process has been incredible. But I think one of the things that we felt a little bit of tension around was how do we how do we more effectively nudge that person along through not just consuming information, but actually becoming part of the team and feeling like they're part of the team. And so I think that's where this, you know, recruit and retain tranches are really going to kind of just be a richer experience for everyone as a result of onboarding, which is yeah. the big new feature that we kind of announced this week. So um, talk for a few minutes about that. Yeah. So we're we're incredibly excited about about onboarding. So it is the the best implementation of this kind of retain pillar that 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 we can think of. And uh uh it has really come together fantastically. So what onboarding does is finally streamlines what we really believe is your team's most critical process. And that's the process that a new volunteer takes from that first time. They kind of muster up the courage to say, I don't know, maybe I'll wander up to front of house after service and ask if maybe they need help or maybe, you know, it's something they see on the website or, or what, however that process looks. From that very first kind of inkling of maybe I, I might like production, maybe I might want to learn this, I might want to help out my church too you know, they're that every Sunday, ride or die, you can count on playing this huge role on your team. That process will make or break your team's effectiveness without a doubt. And we don't, you know, we're not going to get into the retain kind of pillar today, but those foundations are built in the first couple weeks of somebody yeah. interacting with you, right? Um, you know, way too long. Uh, the first more than five minute conversation you might have with a new volunteer you know, might be the first time they're shadowing. It might be in the middle of a rehearsal. And we want to change that, not just because, you know, we've kind of seen through a lot of our personal experience in, in church that doing it a different way actually has a fundamentally better result, but it's such a powerful and such a powerful and honoring way to do it because at the end of the day, your team is putting hours and hours in. You know, I I certainly don't need to, you know, go through this whole sermon, right? But your team is is making such a huge sacrifice to help put these services on, especially in a volunteer role, right? Yeah. Especially when they're going to work on Monday. And uh, if you can honor that sacrifice and build a great relational foundation from the first step, then that will pay dividends through the life of your team. And, you know, so, okay, sermon over, 
feature is incredibly <laughs> exciting. So if you've used, uh, you might have to stop me talking about Kanban views because I'm a total like project management nerd. If you've used project management software before, you're probably familiar with this Kanban view. It's a bunch of columns. You have a card. You drag it from one column to the other. It comes out of Toyota. Long story. There's a bunch of history there. I'll, I'll spare you all that. Um, but uh, we've laid out your onboarding process in one of these kind of Kanban views. You've got these columns that represent stage somebody's in. That might be, hey, you know, we're going to have our first phone call. We're doing our first in-person meeting, taking someone out to coffee. You know, we're adding them to our MXU team and sending them their first assignments. They can start that training journey early or it's their first weekend shadowing. And all those are laid out really, really cleanly. And you'll see in each of those, we've added a ton of help and instructions. Uh, Actually, the button uh, is called uh, view instructions. So uh, in this, you know, from (laughs) as, (laughs) as soon as you kind of open the box, you know, you click on onboarding, you check out this workflow, you've got this best practices workflow laid out with all of these helpful tips and the things that kind of our whole team has learned um, working in in church and alongside alongside teams. So you track every new volunteer from stage to stage, and that sounds really simple, and and it is honestly. Um, but bringing that level of organization and professionalism to this critical process, uh, you'll find that it takes a huge load off your shoulders in a couple specific ways. Uh, first of all, you don't have to keep in your head what the next step for every new volunteer is. And that can be that can be a huge weight, actually. Oh, yeah. we just added Jake. We just added JB to our team. Like, oh, man, I know he talked about, I think it was video he was interested in, but he never texted me back. Do I still have the number? And had I think I had taken him out to coffee yet, or maybe we were just talking front house. All of that is in one place with one look. You say, here are all the people um, who are kind of a part of this journey joining our team. Here's their next step, all their contact information. You can add notes and collaborate with other leaders on your team to you know, help kind of uh, <laughs> work this person kind of specifically from stage to stage. And all that is right alongside all of the training content, other resources, other tools in MXU that you're using already. So just that weight off <laughs> your shoulders of you don't have to remember all this. It's laid out in front of you. So you get to just focus on building a relationship, having a conversation with this person. And even for all of that, it's loaded with tips and uh, kind of our best suggestions that here's what to talk about in this stage. Here's what you don't have to worry about on the phone call. Take that pressure off. And uh, we're really, really excited about how how really rich kind of a lot of advice and best practices are built in to what you get from onboarding as soon as you as soon as you load the feature. That's awesome. I, I'm so excited about it. I love it so much. So talk for a minute about what pieces and how much of this we're helping teams with in terms of automations. Because I think somebody might hear, well, now I've got to make a list of all these people and put them in these boxes. And like, what if I lose track? And what if what if they're not watching the videos that I, that I prescribe? And so now they've fallen behind? Like, what is MXU doing to come alongside and lock arms with the leaders to make sure that it actually is less of a burden. Yeah, yeah. So onboarding being deeply integrated with the rest of MXU was incredibly important from the very earliest sketches of this. And um, there are a couple ways that that we do that that I think uh, turn out really, really well. And the first is on the very, very front end, the very, very earliest of this process you can get. And it's actually trying to get more interest, right? Get more contacts who might be interested in joining your team. 
your onboarding kind of workflow has this really simple contact form, the easy link that you can, you know, actually perfect place. Uh, most churches have kind of a getting plugged in or taking their next step section of the website, add that link there. You'll get notified as soon as somebody kind of submits their info, they'll go right into this inbox stage in your workflow. So, so from literally the first 100 milliseconds or however long that form <laughs> submission takes, somebody is coming into an honoring organized process and you don't have to think about it either. We will notify you when there's you know some action to take kind of along those lines. Um, as somebody's moving through all these stages, we'll flag individuals that they've stayed in a stage for two weeks. They've stayed in a stage for a month. We'll bring those to your attention visually to make sure that, you know, again, you don't have to think about this. We're trying to automate as much as is possible and just help you. Um, a really powerful way that this removes a bunch of manual work is with quick actions on cards. So in every stage, let's say, all right, we have our first in-person meeting. It went great. Um, I want to send this person their first assignment in MXU. Well, you can do that with one button, but not only that, you pick a specific course, maybe something you put together, maybe it's one of our courses, um, and that gets assigned, they get invited all in one step, and you get to configure which of those actions kind of are available on which stages. That sounds in the weeds. I know that production people don't mind getting in the weeds. I certainly don't. Um, but every part of this workflow is customizable. Every stage is customizable. You customize what actions you want to take on which stages, where you want to invite a user, which course is the perfect one to send. And maybe you send a few different assignments along the way. All of that is tracked with the great assignments report card that you see elsewhere in MXU. Um, it's really all weaved together in a way that makes it function really like you know, more than just a sum, a sum of the parts, right? So obviously we're super excited about all of this. I think one of the key aspects that I'm really kind of drawn to is that it's not just a sign of form, come and shadow, now you're ready to go. It's like we're moving way beyond just any sort of technical training and really building a relational pipeline that connects people to the team in a much more effective way. So talk for a minute about that, because I know you've seen this done a lot of different ways in churches. So what makes this better and why? Yeah, the foundation of onboarding, if you look at this kind of best practices workflow that we've set up for you kind of right out of the box, I honestly would have pushed back on during a lot of my time working in church, you know, mm. when I was, when I was younger. Um, Every stage through the onboarding process that we feel is most effective, um, and that's what you know we've built into this feature, it really focuses on building a relational foundation with this person, honoring the time they're putting in, um, focusing on that investment, right? Why would you take an hour or two uh, to actually meet with this person off-site and with travel time, you're going to miss a meeting? Is it on a Wednesday? You're going to be late for rehearsal? Like, why is all of that worth it? Me. <laughs> 10, 15 years ago would have said, well, it's not what matters is, can they, you know, actually pull up a good mix? Did the mic feedback, you know, on the worship side, like, did you play the right notes? Did you know the songs coming into it? Did you drag out rehearsal for me because I hate rehearsing? Like, that's what matters. Execute the thing. And if that could last more than six months, maybe that would be a great strategy, hmm. but it just cannot. And if you want to build a team that actually is resilient, like there, 
there is not a community that has learned uh, more about the need to roll with the punches than churches over the ne- over the last couple years, right? Hundred percent. If you, yeah, if you want to build a team that is going to be able to handle that, that's going to be there for the long haul. It has to be about more than just did you nail it on Sunday, and the key to that that I learned after years of really having the wrong attitude about that is that the only sustainable way to nail it on a Sunday to get to that effective team is to have a healthy team. So mm. you have to focus on that. And, you know, I like to say with onboarding, you get to transform like day one for your volunteer on your team. That is so much the core of actually nailing it on Sunday a year or two from now. And sometimes when you're in the Sunday to Sunday, Sunday's always coming routine a little bit, it's really, really hard to have that perspective and think of 18 months from now, am I setting up a more stable team that's less dependent on me? Or am I setting up a fragile team that is also going to have poor performance? That's something that you can lean on software a little bit. All right, I don't have the headspace to have this long-term focus every time when it's 6.30 which probably sounds like sleeping in to a lot of people on a Sunday morning and I'm in the middle of this rehearsal. Um, Just trust the process. You know that a lot of this kind of experience of learning is baked into these tools. And by doing these things the MXU way, they're really going to lead you to that better long-term outcome that actually is more effective. Yeah, I love that because some churches' solution to this point has been, well you know what, we'll just put resources in hiring a contractor and getting somebody in here who can execute because that's our priority. The problem with that is if you don't have a healthy team for them to come into, then it's not sustainable because they're probably going to be disinterested or burned out or worse over the long term, and you won't be able to keep them anyway. So why not focus on building health as part of the process? so that we can actually let people experience you know what i believe is a spiritual discipline like serving your church is just as important as attendance and tithing and bible study and a community group in my opinion and so not that they have to serve in production but i think all churches want people who are willing to serve and help in any department so i think what what's key for me about onboarding is that this sets the table for that team to be able to experience more of what God has for them in their life because they're serving in a healthy and effective way. So I'm I'm really stoked about this. To our listeners, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to really apologize for taking so much time at the beginning of this episode to focus on this because it really is, in some ways, a fundamental change in the way. We're approaching MXU in terms of the platform, but also I wanted to make sure that everyone was aware that this is a priority. It's not, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with MXU in terms of the interactivity with the the platform itself, just know that this is not Netflix for production. And Mike said, we have over 600 videos, but it's not really just about the videos. In fact, you know, the videos are there as a tool, but the actual platform is about so much more. So um, if you aren't a user at this point and want to find out more, go to getmxu.com and all of the information that you need is there. Um, 
But man, Mike, thanks to you and your team for doing such a great job on this. I know that there are other features coming soon that we're going to be equally excited about. And so cheers to you guys for the hard work and dedication to making teams better because that's what we're all about. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been a blast going over this. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I have a feeling we're uh, going to be talking about some exciting stuff uh, again, too, in the not too distant future. That's great. Well, we're going to get to our interview now. I had a chance to sit down with some of the senior leadership at Digico at NAB this week. And I think you're going to love to hear from James and Austin and Ryan from Digico. So let's get to it. Well, hey everyone, I'm joined today actually at NAP in the convention hall by my friends from Digico. We have Austin Freshwater, who is the managing director of Digico, and James Gordon, who is the CEO, I learned today that stands for Chief Entertainment Officer of Audiotonics, and then Ryan Shelton, who a lot of you know as sales and support guru and all things Digico for everybody in the U.S. So a lot of our people have met Ryan. If you use Digico and haven't met Ryan, then you don't use Digico because Ryan's, <laughs> Ryan's been everywhere and is uh, all things to everyone. And then sitting beside me, I don't know if he'll chime in or not, but Kyle McMahon, who, um, gosh, helped me run the ship for Tomlin for all those years. And so anyway, gentlemen, it's great to have you here. Thanks for being a part of this episode. So absolute pleasure. Yeah, nice just, um, just a, a little bit of background. Um, you know, James, you've been a part of Digico since the very beginning. Is that right? That is true. So yeah. why don't you just give a little bit of your story and how, yeah, how all sure. this came to be? Yeah, well, so Digico is turning 21, actually, this year. So it's a happy birthday. A coming of age, I guess that is. <laughs> I think that's the right way of putting it. So, yeah, we, I originally started from Soundtracks, actually, doing the digital post-production platform that we had in the late 90s. And when we could see... Um, the live industry growing and the capacity and requirement growing, we took the decision to evolve the technology to make a groundbreaking live digital desk, which was D5 back then in 2002. Yeah, uh, And that was the, the real beginning of Digico, actually. And, and we grew the business over a, a period of time. Uh, John Stadius, who is our technical director, looks a little bit like Doc out of Back to the Future. He's gray <laughs> hair and... <laughs> Slight, slightly true to the character, actually. He, look, he looks a like, mad scientist. Yeah, he looks much. he looks like him, but actually he is him. I think I don't, I don't know I don't know how the writer of the film found the the, <laughs> the, the character. Um, and and John was one of the pioneers, moving from you know Shark DSP, which we were the first company of soundtracks to use for digital mixing, and then evolving into FPGAs, which is such a groundbreaking move. And and that has allowed us with the whole SD series, and then ultimately now with the Quantum series, to evolve the products over time so as the demands on our users grow we've been able to harness new technology and deliver more from the platform and i think i think that's what's really driven the the amazing growth that, that digico's had over the last 10 years is just the fact that the the technology is allowed to grow around what you need that's great well we're going to get to some of those specifics in a little bit specifically fpga and what it is and what makes it different but um Austin, why don't you give us a little bit of your history as well? Sure, no problems. Uh, so I joined Digico six years ago, back in 2017. And interestingly, I don't have an audio background. So uh, I came into this with my eyes wide open, knowing that I had a lot to learn. Yeah. Um, I recently joined, I became a managing director at the uh, end of 2021. 
Um, but the early days were a lot of fun. And one of the greatest moments was when, when I met everybody. Uh, James was actually away for one of the early days. And I think James describes it as I interviewed all of the staff. <laughs> now, I would call it getting to know everybody and just having a cup of tea. Uh, just to find out who they are, what they was, you know, what roles they took, the, 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 sorry, what roles they did, and what their interests were. Um, and when he returned, he said, well, "Is it my turn?" So I had to sit down and interview James. <laughs> <laughs> so, I got the job. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Must have gone pretty well. I was unsure <laughs> at that time. So <laughs> that's funny. That's good. So before Digico, yeah. then what was your what was your business background? So uh, I spent ten years at Canon cam- camera company. Okay. So and worked across all the different marketplaces. So whether it was a small fifty dollar camera going into retail or a hundred thousand dollar lens going into NEP and everything in between, we worked across all of the segments of, of all markets. Um, and before that, I worked in drinks. I worked for Coca Cola and Twinings Tea. Oh wow! So I've got a very broad and very background. That's cool. Um, and I've landed into an industry, into the audio industry, which I must say is the best one yet well uh, it's i'm glad you agree that it's the best one yet because i hope any of our video friends who are listening will say that you know not only can audio and video commingle but audio is actually the best so yes. thanks for clarifying all. Exactly. we all agree <laughs> yeah and ryan how about you i know that you have an extensive church background yeah you know growing up and serving at a young age so why don't you just give people who don't know kind of some of that history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was that nerdy kid, you know, 10, 11 years old. Was? Who, and well, thanks. Um, uh, so He's I not was, a kid anymore. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Clarity. Okay, good. And, but nerdier. Yeah. <laughs> he Thank can you. afford to be a nerd yes. now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So I, I was going to church with my family. We went to a very, very large uh, church in Memphis, Tennessee called Bellevue Baptist Church. So my introduction to audio was just looking at these sound consoles, not knowing what they are, what they did, um, you know, and just being curious. And uh, my dad actually knew the father of the technical director at the time. So he got me connected and I literally sat next to him when I was 11 years old, asked him what the buttons were, what they did, what wow. a compressor was. Um, cool. Yeah, it was really awesome. So um, I, nepotism goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, from there, I just, you know, volunteered, did Christmas productions, Easter productions, you know. Um, but the introduction of my, uh, like, sound career was on in a 7,000-seat room with, you know, a three-way split with, I think it was like 184 patch points in the room and patch bays, and that was where I got started, which, wow. I don't know, I think it's, it's served me well today to understand just where these churches are and where they come from. Yeah, so. well, and to have that kind of signal flow a part of your sort of basis for yeah. everything that you do from such a young age, yes. it's like that, that's just such a great foundation. That's, that's really cool. So for those listening who aren't engaging young people in your technical <laughs> ministries and opportunity, just know that you know the church, and obviously as technology has advanced, you know the church is actually one of the best training grounds and proving grounds for young people because they have access to the gear that a normal production company can't provide to such young people. So yeah, absolutely. you don't have to be on tour to learn how to be great. Actually digging in and serving at your church is probably the best way yeah. these days to get started. And and what I wouldn't have given for a virtual sound check. 
oh. back then. I oh, mean, these were yeah. large format analog consoles. It wasn't even a possibility, yeah. right? So you never touch the compressor right. unless, you know, they told you to touch the compressor. Yeah, that's fine. You know, but uh, being able to actually have these tracks played back and be able to hear what this does, you know, in a space, that would that would have been awesome. It's funny, though. Kids today don't understand what an analog recall <laughs> sheet looks like. Like, that's to true. have the printout of the console mm -hmm. channel strips and be able to make your pencil marks to where everything mm -hmm. is so that if something has to change, you can get back to it the next day. Yeah. Man, we're what, just... What's a pencil? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You so, now know why it's entertainment. Exactly. <laughs> so, James, you um, obviously started with Digico, but now Digico is part of a broader brand called Audiotonics. So what's the sort of the journey from here to there, and why was it important to integrate the other... Yeah, okay, that's a, that's a really good question, actually, because um, it really it really comes from when Digico grew. So we had a, a really good run from 2007 to 2012. We were starting to get a, a lot of companies looking at us, considering acquiring us or merging us into them. And at that time, we thought that could damage the culture of the business. That could change the, the heart of what Digico is all about. And we decided, actually, what the best way to do that would be to become what we feared and start to acquire businesses, but to do it in the way we ran Digico. So to let them be their own brands, to let them do their own R&D and to help them grow rather than try and put a, a big umbrella over them and change their culture. So that's really where it started. And it started with Alan and Heath and, and then Calric on the, on the broadcast side. And then obviously over the last five or six years, we've added a few more, let's call it that, a few more brands. <laughs> yeah, uh, so for people who don't know, that also includes SSL, Clang, some other technologies. Yeah, the that Slate are, Digital, yeah. Harrison now most recently that, mm -hmm. that came on board. Mm -hmm. uh, sound Devices, which is, mm -hmm. you know, Location Sound and RF. Mm -hmm. So they're all, they're all good brands with, with good, talented people in them yeah. that, that actually get some leverage from being part of something bigger. So, you know, mm -hmm. through the last two years, getting components and stuff has been a real challenge and it's been an awful lot of re-engineering work that's been needed. And we've been able to leverage our scale. You know, I found out this mm -hmm. morning, actually, we're now... Thanks to Harrison, we're now over 700 staff worldwide, which is a wow. yeah, pretty scary number. But it, it's quite, quite exciting too. And is everyone UK-based? I don't know enough about the other no, companies. No, Sound know. Devices and Harrison and Slate Digital both have US-based US. Uh, US yeah. companies. Mm -hmm. uh, Clang's based in Germany. Uh, Slate R&D, actually, Slate Digital R&D is in Grenoble in France. Uh, then we have, obviously, the UK brands, so the, the Digicos, SSLs, et cetera. They're all UK. And then how does... I've always been curious about this. Maybe, you know, you don't have to share every aspect of it, but how does, obviously there is um, uniqueness between, I'm thinking of the three major console brands that people yep. would know, Allen Heath, Digico, and SSL. There's, there's uniqueness in each of their verticals, but there has to be some technology that kind of migrates between the two now that they're integrated no, in they're a way, designed but... they are designed for very different applications or or segments in the market right so the r&d teams are actually completely separate okay. because i think that's where you get the passion in the product and and that's you know even down to the color of it or you know what what materials it's made from or, or how it should sound so those are all unique but there's an awful lot of knowledge share so you know sat next to me here is a a very nice SSL 12, actually, which is a new investment. Thank it's you. It's a really nice, uh, yeah, USB interface that has our four microphones going through it. And mm -hmm. it's pretty, and we're in 4K mode. So we have the, you know, the advantages of the classic SSL 4000 series. <laughs> 
So that that unit for when we when we started with the USB stuff for SSL back in uh, 2019, 2018 is when it started. It was one of the first projects we put in place when we acquired SSL. They had no USB technology at all. But as it happened, Digico had some USB technology because they had UB Maddie and they had um, connectivity on the back of the consoles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Alan Heath had it as well on some of their consoles for streaming and also on their DJ platform. So when SSL was fronted with how do we do a USB, they had some people they could pick the phone up to and ask. And knowledge was shared. Uh, mistakes were shared. So that's good. We don't make the same mistakes twice in terms of you yeah. know development errors. And, and that allowed SSL to get to market quicker. So that's where we leverage R&D. Each brand has its own team, but if one of the teams is trying to get into a different, different area of technology, whatever that is, it could be screens, it could be USB, it could be processing, whether it's FPGA, DSP, or Intel, yeah. we'll share that across the group so we can speed each of the brands up with their aspiration. That's great. Wow. What a great answer. It's funny. I, there are things that I love about all three of those console brands, and obviously Harrison has a great reputation as well. But in terms of live mixing, you know, I've, I've mixed on Alan Heath and Digico a lot and SSL to some degree. And, you know, they're all so different, but so familiar at the same time. And they're all, obviously they all sound great. So it's good. Um, so speaking of R and D, obviously the last few years have been a challenge to say the least. (laughs) Very true. So what are some of the challenges you faced in both manufacturing and R and D? And how do we, how do we see a path forward? Because I, I think you guys have weathered it really well in a lot of ways. You know, there was some of our other console friends weren't able to ship anything, and yeah. yet you have been able to sort of weather the storm to a degree. So, what did that look like moving through it, and what do we see on the horizon? I think uh, from a Digico perspective, when we first realized how serious the situation was, we were very quick to move. So the first thing was. We were very able to get everybody we needed to get together, quickly run through what we thought was going to be a problem and move as quick as we could. And we we were able to secure some key parts. What we didn't anticipate was that everything else was going to be a problem. (laughs) So, you know, we secured FPGAs, we secured screens, but we didn't anticipate that we needed black powder coat paint and the anodizers would run out of blue. Uh, Plastic bags, you know, cardboard, it was daily and it was so frustrating. Um, and I think, you know, the team did an amazing job of continually looking to find different things to solve the problems to keep this product moving. And then the purchasing team were fantastic. They were on the phones, on email all day, every day. What, <laughs> what, what can we get? How much is it? Um, and we were quick. And I think that's one of the things about, the, you know, we're, we're a big business, but we make decisions really quickly, um, which enabled us to make the right choices and, you know, keep pretty much everything shipping. Um, you know, we you know, Dante, everyone knows in the industry, has been a challenge. Yeah. Um, we are, you know, I'm pleased to say we are past that. We are shipping Dante again. But the challenges today are is to catch up. You know, so we, we've got a huge demand and huge you know, back orders at the moment that we're trying to get through to catch up. So I think today I'm quite comfortable that when we have a supply chain issue, it's normally for a week. You know, whereas before we didn't know how when it was going to come and how many we were going to get, wow. so we can plan better. And we're, you know, we're, I wouldn't say we're back to where we were, but we're almost there. 
So the challenges of today are capacity and getting the team to work harder, and manufacture more, so we can get it out to all our customers and, and keep them That's happy. That's great. Yeah, I just I want to clarify something for yeah. all those technical directors that just heard Dante is shipping, <laughs> uh, and I should be getting my car Tuesday. Um, uh, we're catching up on back orders, is what Correct. Austin said. Yes. Uh, there are quite a few of them, and uh, but yeah, we are, and yeah. we're very happy to start receiving those cards and get them out to customers for sure. And what's interesting, you told me a story earlier today, actually about just some of those days when the process was, you know, you guys are doing great working as best you can to keep your product, you know, built and, and to keep manufacturring. But you were talking earlier today about something I'd never even thought of was just the, um, air freight and how the oh. schedule yeah. of planes yeah. that could even get into the U S was yes. so limited sure. because so yeah. many things were shut down that you've got consoles ready to go and you just can't, yeah. Here. Yeah. For the, for the longest time, I mean, ever since I've been working with Digico, we would just use unused freight space on commercial airlines and and bring those over. But of course, when COVID hit, there were no commercial flights between the UK and the US, or one a day, or something like that. So yeah, it got really interesting. We had to get really creative to get product across. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, well done. One other one other comment on that as well. Actually, I think one of the other things that was really important when the pandemic hit, we took the decision to keep everybody working. So that was one of the key things I think that benefited us as well because we made that decision, which at the time was a tough decision to make because yeah. you know we were unsure, as was everybody else, of what it, the outcome was going to be. Um, but we made that choice and looking back now, it's the best choice we made. So to keep everybody and all of R&D working full time, I think that truly benefited us to get to keep shipping all the way through um, and has put us in a better place now than what we would have been if we'd have uh, you know, panicked a bit further. That's great. And I think beyond the beyond just the manufacturing side and R&D, even people who are like Kyle with a role that's not directly manufacturing related, you know, the fact that you were able to pivot and turn your basement into a basically <laughs> mobile support studio <laughs> where you're able to host trainings and do things over over Zoom and over the internet that just weren't possible in person. I just think, you know, kudos to all of you to, you know, to pivot and be as nimble as you were and are to be able to serve your customers as well, especially especially in the church world. Because honestly, when all the events and touring shut down, mm -hmm. churches were the only events available and definitely the first thing to come back. Yeah. So to serve the church market the way you guys did is is to be committed for sure. We we do have a fantastic team actually. Yeah. And that's what they are. They're that's, a team. That's yeah. the answer. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. Even Carl. <laughs> <laughs> so um for people who don't know, I think we need to talk for a few minutes about FPGA because that is one of the things that sets apart the chips that are a part of your processing. So Tell everybody what FPGA is and what makes it different than a traditional. I'm getting process. that one. It's a it's a fill programmable <laughs> gate array, uh, and basically they they've been around for a long time. Historically, they used to be the glue between DSPs, so they were the logic that made everything work. Um, and then, thanks to the telecoms industry, actually, and military, they expanded the capacity of them because they're very good at doing a huge number of instructions quickly. Um, John grabbed hold of them. I don't know, 2003, 2004. 
uh, and started to try and work out how he could make one work as a mixing console. And I think that's that's the thing for our industry. It's it's big in our minds, but actually in the real world, it's quite a small industry, yeah. which is probably why it's still fun and, and friendly. Um, so we have to take devices that are designed for bigger industries and make them work for our industry. And that's really where John and his team worked their magic on that programming. So they took an FPGA. And basically, you can imagine it's like a piece of paper. And each scale of FPGA is a, a smaller or a bigger piece of paper. And that started us with SD7, which obviously was a large sheet of paper. It's a large sheet of paper. Uh, and then we were able to scale that down. And that's, that's what allowed us to deliver such a wide range of products and price points, but still have all that functionality and feature. And the efficiencies of how you program, each time you turn the, the, the product on, the code is driven down onto the device. And the efficiencies of how you do that has allowed us to release more capacity as the products have got older. So that's how, you know, SD10, I mean, there's a, or, or even SD9, SD9, the capacity change on that product from oh, yeah. when we launched it mm-hmm. in 2010. I mean, if you were a customer in 2010, you were buying an amazing product for 2010. Yeah. The fact you can be driving it now and it still outclasses its competitors in terms of capacity and, and features and functionality is a true reason why John made and his team an amazing decision. I mean, so for people who don't know, when there's an update that basically, a, for example, adds channel count or those kind of things, that's because it's based in the FGBA. FPGA. <laughs> I'm a golf fan, so the PGA is top of mind. The FPGA, yes. Um, chip. Yeah, it's a number of things. It's efficiency with our code, but it's also the efficiency of how that device is laid out when it when the code is dropped onto that device. And and also, funnily enough, it's the customers. I mean, a huge amount. You know, people go, how come Digico always releases these cool features that allow me to do more quicker? Well, it's generally because customers talk to to these guys uh, and they then come back to us and feed ideas we don't do them all we have this massive wish list uh, (laughs) back back at headquarters Uh, and if things hit the wish list a number don't repeat this right right don't don't suddenly send me 50 imaginary (laughs) friends Um, when when these things hit the wish list they get evaluated and discussed and and a lot of them become part of the product and that's why it's such a user-friendly product because actually it's the users that have defined the roadmap We've just had to to try and adapt it to to fit what we can deliver on the product. We've, great. we've had it here at NAB. You know, we've had guys coming to the booth that you know, long term use of of ours. Going, we've come up with another idea. Do you think this could be possible? So you know, and that's great about being at the show. We get to engage with the you know the people that use the desks, um, and we get real feedback from them again to evaluate, and we'll see where we go with it. That's great. Mm-hmm. So, the newest sort of line or generation of consoles is the quantum series of, of consoles. Mm-hmm. So for people who haven't mixed on those, and maybe they're on an SD9 or an SD10 or one of mm-hmm. the older um, you know, models, mm-hmm. um, let's talk about quantum for a, mi- a few minutes because yeah. in my mind, it really is a game changer in so many ways. You know, mm-hmm. People walk up to it and they say, oh, that's so much better of a screen or mm-hmm. whatever. But sure. until you get into the working of the desk, yeah. it's hard to really comprehend what's different about quantum processing yes so talk for a few minutes just about some of those features and kind of where where we've arrived absolutely so i mean first and foremost when you look at it there are cosmetic changes right uh, apparently there's a difference in screen technology between 2007 uh and uh you know 2020 so you know displays have come a long way in and that not, and i'm not i'm not no. saying that the fact that we 
had a touchscreen back then wasn't a big deal because it was. It was. It was, um, yeah. it was. Yeah. that size. Time, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was amazing. But the new ones are really much, they are, much they better. Are, they are really. <laughs> and, you know, that's the part the engineer touches all the time, right? That's what they're looking at. Um, so, absolutely, it should feel current and, you know, have brightness for all those people for years touring, you know, that were doing their sound checks, as you well know, you know, at noon. Uh, yeah. And it's bright outside. So, having higher brightness on screens, you know, things like that. Um, but under the hood is where a lot of those changes took place because the quantum line is a new engine like that is is a fundamentally different architecture change from what we've done in the past with vastly more dsp available to the engineers so they've done some really cool stuff with it and one of the first ones i think is probably the most complicated to talk about but it's nodal processing and this is one of those that is i i mean I guess front of house engineers could use it in some ways, but it's primarily for monitor engineers. And one of the things, and I guess you could extend that to churches where there is no monitor engineer. So a front of house engineer who's doing everything. Yeah. Uh, and what we always had to do as engineers was um, we, we oftentimes we would double patch key channels, right? So if I have a worship leader and that worship leader, um, what I want to send to their ears, I don't want to send compression back to them, right? I don't want to, I don't want to have any drastic EQ changes to what they're hearing because they have their own preferences on what they're hearing. They need correction for the mic that they're using. Uh, and we don't want them overexerting and singing too hard by putting dynamics on there. So a lot of times we would double patch a channel. And we would say, okay, here's the worship leader's mic going to their ears. And then here's the worship leader's mic for everybody else. Yeah. And that's the one we squash, right? We right. just absolutely remove dynamic range. Uh, that's the one we scoop out so it fits nice in the mix. Um, and so you can imagine that, you know, if you start doing that for every element of the band, um, not that we would really necessarily care what the guitar player thinks, but, you know, um, <laughs> you know, we want, we want those options. And then if you are the person who gives that to everybody, you know, that's why you need hundreds of channels and why people ask, how do you fill up an SD7? You know, that's how you do it is by listening and being able to give the band what they want. And then eventually you run out of DSP there. So this nodal processing allows us to take a separate EQ and dynamics and apply it to a specific node feeding a specific aux. So now I can have one worship leader channel and I can say, okay, for aux one that is feeding my worship leader, I would like to use a separate EQ and dynamic from what the channel is using. So, and they've amazing guys at Digico, both on the, I mean, primarily on the software side, because that's what I deal with a lot, is they've made the workflow incredibly straightforward. So you're not digging through menus. Once again, Digico is very against digging through menus. Uh, things just pop up when you need them. So I solo a mix, solo a channel, and there it is. There's my separate EQ that is that is under the hood for that. And uh, each of the quantum consoles has a different number of nodal processing that's available uh, to it. So obviously, if you're on a quantum seven, you're going to have more than you're going to have on a 225. But uh, yeah, all appropriately scaled for the model that they're at. And that, to me, really extends the usability of it. But it is new and it's different. And anytime you do that, there's training and education yeah. involved for the user because they don't know what it is. They don't know there's additional DSP channels sitting around in a console that they're like, oh, 72 channels. I'm not sure I could fit in that. It's like, well, let's talk about how many channels you're actually double patching for what's feeding the stage. Yeah. Um, and yeah, really extends that. That's good. Well, and for some of you listening you know you may you may not want to tell your band that you have that option yes, yeah, until you've yeah, learned how to ab use it absolutely maybe never <laughs> yeah <laughs> you tell your drummer that you can basically put anything anywhere and change it all and they're yeah, gonna yeah they're gonna I, just tweak I, I and tweak and that. tweak yeah, yeah that's funny in fact uh early days when we uh, launched nodal processing we had engineers come up to us at the trade show be like please 
don't ever tell the band that that we can do this. Um, That's great. Well, in addition to nodal processing, there's yeah. you know mustard and spice rack and some other things yeah. that people have maybe heard of, but yes. don't really know what it is. So mm -hmm. quickly, maybe just sort of talk through yeah some of that yeah um so uh with mustard processing and spice rack um digico when it started and james can obviously uh, feed more into this as well but digital consoles were trying to be as transparent and clean as possible they weren't trying to bring anything necessarily character wise to the party they were trying to be as clean and um I'm just trying to think of another word for that, but clean is the right word, right? We wanted we wanted pristine audio coming out of there. And consistent from channel to channel. Correct. So every input would sound Absolutely. exactly the but, same. But also when you're like thinking about a dynamic, right? What type of compressor do you put in there? Do you put something that has a ton of character, a ton of noise, or a ton of, you know, saturation or some sort of characteristic with it? And I think the choice was made early on, and I think it was the right one, just to keep those as transparent as possible. So that way, if you're doing rock, it works. If you're doing a church, it works. If you're doing theater, it works. If you're doing broadcast, it works. Um, so not a lot of character to that compressor. Um, but, you know, obviously, things are very different in 2023 uh, as they were to when digital consoles were launching. And I think the pendulum swung the other way. Uh, obviously, our friends at Waves, um, you know, uh, people who are previously doing things like Universal Audio for Live, like we've all moved to plugins, we've all moved to modeling, we've all moved to, I want a unique optical choice, compressor. Choice. choice, absolutely. Yeah, choice. We yeah. want those, right. Yeah. Uh, and so that's primarily what Mustard is bringing to the console. Uh, it's adding flavor, it's adding coloration, it's adding options for the engineer. Uh, these are super high quality models. I've had multiple engineers out of Nashville that have gotten rid of universal audio outboard racks because it's not because they think ours necessarily sound better. They're just going, hey, if I can do all this in the console yeah. and then I don't have to carry around the extra rack with the extra IO uh, and the extra complexity of setting those things up and I can do it on the console, then yeah, they can do it. So talk to me about the name because Mustard and no, spice rack. I don't know if anybody it's gotta can, come from James. You can't see me, but I am pointing at James. So yeah. What's with the food metaphors? It's flavor. Yeah. Isn't it? And that's that's what you want. You know, that as as um, Ryan said, the dynamics and the EQs and stuff on the Digicos are, are legendary. You know, that's that's why they were used on on all the big productions. But people now want to be able to add a bit of color, a bit of flavor. Mm -hmm. And and for us. You've got a bit of mustard. Yeah, that's <laughs> good. Well, you know? and I've always, I've always likened mixing to mm -hmm. cooking. I think you yeah, know, just yeah. the whole, yeah. you know, you're putting all these ingredients together, and you're making, mm -hmm. making the flavors work together. So yeah. it makes sense to me. I yeah. think. Are we going to have ketchup and mayonnaise soon to follow? <laughs> You're definitely going to get some more spices because we, we do Very like good. our chilies, don't we? So, yes, you do. Nog no, is the latest one, and that's pretty yes. special too. That great. one's great. Now, I will admit, I actually did not know what a naga was. Um, but, it's a uh, very, very hot chili. I, I learned that. Clarkson Farming <laughs> is actually where I learned about that one. Excellent. So. Well, let's talk for a minute about, you know, specifically the house of worship market because you guys are UK-based. Obviously, the church in the UK is very different from the church in the US. So what, what are some of those differences? And what, you know, for those of us who are in sort of big US megachurches who don't really have an awareness of what the rest of the world is like. Just let's just talk for a minute about implementation and deployment of these desks and just, you know, what those customers need and how it's different. 
Well, I think the first thing is scale, right? Yeah. I think I think the needs are very similar, but predominantly it's scale, and I think that's where our, our entire lineup works. You know, we mm-hmm. offer something for any any size, um, and the capabilities and the features that we. You know, and the connectivity that we have enables the DigiCode desk to slide into any environment, really. Um, and I think that's probably the, the the main piece. Then obviously, then it comes back down to the people that know what they're doing. You know, and you mentioned it already. We've got these two guys sitting here. They know the market very well. They understand the customer needs. They're capable technically uh, to support them and advise and help and be supported to what it what, what it is. Um, and making sure that the system's right for the, for the, for the church. Um, and we have the same thing in the UK, but on a smaller basis. And there are other churches around the world that also have a, a large houses of worship market. Um, and, you know, we, and we work with those appropriately to yeah. try and do the right thing as well. Well, what I love about, you know, guys like Ryan and Kyle and others is, you know, because primarily, I'm sure for you personally, because of your long history in the church and starting as a kid and all that. I just, I appreciate the fact that you're not just out there trying to sell everybody an SD seven. Yeah. You know, there are appropriate solutions for appropriate scale to use your word. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's really important to be committed to. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we at MXU really appreciate, you know, partnering with manufacturers who are, you know, aware of that first, but then actually advocate for the right solution instead of just, what if we went a little more yeah. and, and then talk it's people def- into upgrades? Definitely work for us too here, isn't it? Yeah. Because we've 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 allowed our range allows it to grow around you too. So yeah. we have a, a lot of facilities actually that were very relatively small when we first supplied them, but now they probably do have SD sevens. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Very, that's well, true. the great thing about the workflow and the software is that if you start on an S series or start on an SD nine or start mm-hmm. small, no, you know the there's a familiarity that comes with as you grow through the line. Yeah, absolutely. As an operator, it's mm-hmm. like if you know how an SD9 works, you're pretty much able to get around on the big boys. And yeah. so it's just a great, you know, it's just a great ecosystem in that way. Yeah, I mean, coming back to what we talked back at the beginning, you know, being able to have a youth room or a student room or a multipurpose room and and have a kid learning on an SD9 or a Q225 or something like that, uh, and then being able to know within a few years that, that they're going to be able to just walk in and, and use that Quantum 7 yeah. if, if that's what you're using or Quantum 338 or something like that. That's yeah. good. I do, uh, just kind of wrap this up, I do also back to the church differences. I always try to like when Austin came on board and you were like for one of the first trips you took, yeah. I, I made sure to like when he was in Nashville and when we've had him in other cities, I just, I just take them to not, I mean, I guess technically they're mega churches, but you know, when you grow up at a really large church, I guess it doesn't feel quite as big, but I'll, I always took them to churches and like show them what it is. And I mean, this, the scale of it is. Yeah. You, is, we, we did a road show and yeah, you <laughs> blew my mind, you know, <laughs> so. <laughs> Quality of production's there too. It's amazing the content that comes yeah. out. Oh yeah. yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, we're grateful to partner with a lot of those big churches and you know, the small ones too. I mean, I think you know we try to advocate for, you know, people to have a vision for what they want their expression of the church to communicate and how they want to connect with their people. And whether that's, you know, a seven thousand seat auditorium with, you know, moving lights and haze and huge consoles and huge production, or if it's a 200 person church, that's more liturgical and more traditional, you know, I think there are great solutions for everybody in everywhere in between, which is great. Kyle, you've been awfully quiet today. 
<laughs> Intentionally so. But anything you want to add to this conversation before we wrap up? Not really. <laughs> day three of NAB. Day three of NAB. Is it nearly the end of the day? Yeah. Kyle's over here going, can I just go to dinner real quick so we can go to bed? <laughs> Some real enthusiasm there, Kyle. <laughs> well, guys, is there anything we've missed? Anything we need to do a deeper dive on i just i appreciate your time today well, when, when these guys are around doing demos and yeah. ask them loads of questions yeah. make them work because because <laughs> they because they, they, they love it and oh, we do you know sure. testing them and testing the product is how we all get better yeah that's good well thank you guys so much for your time today this has been a great conversation and we just appreciate your partnership so much and um just can't wait to see what's next uh, from Digico. I know you're always working on stuff. John and his team are always developing. So as those uh, new spices and hot peppers come into play, <laughs> we're going to be ready for them. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, yeah, guys. Thanks.